everyone. It's Nikki, your host of the 7th Street Podcast. This is the next installment of this season's series of Street Stories, covering the terrible tales of prosecutorial misconduct by former Wyandotte County Prosecutor Tara Moorhead. If you haven't listened to the previous Street Stories this season, I encourage you to listen to those stories first before diving into this one. Enjoy. On February 23, 2013, the Deputy United States Marshals observed a pickup truck that matched the description of a fugitive's vehicle. After watching one of the three occupants engage in what appeared to be a drug transaction, the Marshals converged on the pickup truck. The deputies ordered the three passengers, one white man named Tommy Cordell Eastland, one white woman named Amy Stymex Smart, and one Hispanic man named Gregory Orozco to exit out of the vehicle. The deputies searched the truck and found an unloaded firearm and a clear plastic case containing pills and marijuana. They also found a loaded magazine that fit the recovered firearm, a large amount of U.S. currency, and a small pink nylon case. Out of the three passengers in the vehicle, only Gregory Orozco was arrested and charged with two drug counts and two firearm counts. Gregory insisted the drugs and guns didn't belong to him, but law enforcement felt this was an open-shut case and they had their criminal. Eventually, Gregory's case was set for trial. But just minutes before the trial began, Tara Moorhead, the prosecutor on the case, walked into court with new evidence evidence supposedly from the pink nylon bag that was confiscated at the crime scene. In this bag was 41.3 grams of methamphetamine, pills, a gun, and a SIM card. Gregory told Tara Moorhead that these items were not his. Moorhead didn't seem to consider he might be telling the truth, despite they were found in a pink bag that Amy Stymick Smart, the white woman at the scene, said could have belonged to her when she was questioned. When the judge and Gregory's attorney asked what was on the SIM card, Moorhead informed them that it was nothing more than a bunch of commonplace photos. The court accepted this response, and the trial began. At this trial, Moorhead called a young man named Alejandro Ruiz as a witness Alejandro testified that Gregory had given him a large amount of meth in exchange for a Chevrolet Camaro. Gregory and his defense denied this claim and not only denied it, but was prepared to call Alejandro's brother, Jose, as a witness to deny the claim and say that he, not Alejandro, was actually the one who sold Gregory the car, not drugs. Furthermore, Jose was going to testify on Gregory's behalf that his brother had never even met Gregory. Gregory's attorney, 
Mr. James Campbell, requested a hearing to discuss this witness. When the district court inquired why Mr. Campbell sought a hearing to discuss the witness that the defense planned to present, Moorhead suggested that Mr. Campbell was concerned about the scope of her impeachment and cross-examination. This was relevant because Jose had recently been indicted in a federal drug case in the Western District of Missouri, and the cross-examination or impeachment could have adverse consequences on his other pending case. But Moorhead had her own concerns. She also understood the risks for this witness and stated one reason she wanted to bring it up is to make sure there had been a full conversation with him about the consequences of this, that he would be subject to cross-examination, that there could be consequences, not only in this case, but in the case there. At the moment, this seemed reasonable, and the court agreed, and allowed Moorhead to have this conversation during a court recess. After that recess, Jose decided not to testify, and Gregory Orozco was convicted. During that last court recess, Moorhead sat down and spoke with Jose and his attorney, Ms. Broadland, and we later learned in a motion that Gregory and his attorneys filed asking for a new trial, that Jose told Gregory the reason he didn't testify is because during this conversation, Moorhead told Jose and his lawyer that if they got in her way, she would get in their way. Moorhead was clearly referring to Jose's case in West Missouri, where he was awaiting sentencing. So Ms. Broadland told him to just get away from this case. So he felt threatened and decided not to testify. In this motion for a new trial, Gregory alleged that the government interfered with his right to a fair trial. The district court held two hearings in which he heard testimony from Gregory, Jose, and Jose's lawyer, Ms. Broadlin. The government presented no evidence during this trial, not even from Tara Moorhead. Jose's lawyer, Mrs. Broadlin, prepared an affidavit pertaining to this conversation that occurred during that critical recess that caused Jose to change his mind. In her affidavit, she states that Ms. Moorhead did advise her that Jose could be charged with perjury should he testify, and that Ms. Moorhead was aware of Mr. Jose's current indictment, in which Western District Prosecutor was handling his indictment. Gregory's lawyer, Mr. Campbell, questioned Ms. Brodlin under oath on direct examination. Ms. Brodlin, how, what was the tone of your conversation with Ms. Moorhead? Mr. Campbell asked. I, I don't really know how to put it. The tone, she replies. Mr. Campbell follows up. Was it confrontational? She takes a second and responds. I think it was assertive. I don't think I would say confrontational. Was it made clear to you that Ms. Moorhead was going to seek ramifications against your client if he testified in that matter? Campbell asked plainly. I don't think it was made clear, Ms. Baldwin said. It was, it was just discussed that, that there was a strong possible outcome that it could happen. And how long did that conversation take? She answers, 
five minutes or less. At the hearing, Mr. Campbell also directly examined Jose about the impact of these crucial five minutes. Mr. Campbell asks Jose, when you told Mr. Orozco that if you got into the prosecutor's way that the prosecutor would get in your case, did you feel threatened that if you were to testify in Mr. Orozco's case that it would impact your case? Yes, Jose responded. And Mr. Ruiz Salazar, what led to your decision not to testify, Mr. Campbell asks. Jose replies, because the attorney and I talked that it wasn't the moment to testify. Campbell follows up, excluding anything your attorney told you, was there anything else that made you change your mind? No, Jose says. But besides seemingly intimidating a critical defense witness, to make matters even worse, during these hearings, it was also uncovered that the 200 pictures found in the SIM card in the pink nylon bag confiscated at the scene of the arrest did not just have commonplace photos, as Moorhead described. Investigators learned that the 200 pictures on the SIM card contained images showing the other two occupants that were present at Gregory's arrest, Tommy Cordell Eastland and Amy Stymex Smart, with the evidence that Gregory Orozco was charged with. Not only did the SIM card have critical evidence that could have helped the defense plead his innocence, but it was also admitted late and was submitted into evidence only minutes before the trial was set to start. The government asserted the reason the evidence was submitted late was because it was miscategorized and stored as personal property rather than evidence. For them, it was just an accident. After these hearings, the district court was moved to grant Gregory's motion for a new trial. Finding that Moorhead's statements to Ms. Sprodlin went far beyond a simple perjury warning. The district court acknowledged that Ms. Moorhead was assertive, but not confrontational. However, the court interpreted Moorhead's warning that Jose could face perjury charges if he testified, as implying that just the mere act of testifying alone, regardless of what he said, would lead to adverse consequences. She never took the time to clarify that he would only be charged with perjury if he lied on the stand, not just for taking the stand. A clarification that would seem natural for someone who was quoted from earlier, wanting to bring it up to make sure that there had been a full conversation with him about the consequences. And yet, her intention seemed to change once her request was granted by the court, and those impactful five minutes began. In the decision for the new trial, the court also asserted it was true that Moorhead's statements to get in Jose's way, if he testified, was a threat. The court also uncovered that Moorhead made statements that she knew the prosecutor assigned to Jose's case, and that only added to the threatening nature of her comments. The district court also concluded not only that the tone, content, and import of Moorhead's comments established bad faith, but that also failing to admit 
the SIM card with important photos into evidence and doubling the statutory minimum on the morning of jury selection also supported this finding of bad faith. The decision for a new trial also noted that even if Moorhead merely advised Jose of the consequences should he commit perjury, her comments were unnecessarily strong as they implied adverse consequences simply for testifying and that there was no basis in the record to support the government's concerns that Jose would have lied in the first place. Finally, the district court found that, but for Moorhead's intimidation, Jose would have testified. Thus, the district court concluded that Gregory's Sixth Amendment right to present a defense had been violated. After reaching that finding, the district court turned to the remedy. Accordingly, it vacated Gregory's convictions and dismissed the underlying counts and the superseding indictment with prejudice. The government immediately appealed. But less than two months after the infamous Lamont McIntyre's conviction was overturned, a federal judge ordered the release of Gregory Roscoe on the grounds that Moorhead did in fact intimidate a critical witness in his trial, acted in bad faith, and interfered with his constitutional right to a fair trial. This is one of many cases that shows Moorhead's repetitive methodology as a prosecutor, intimidating witnesses, and withholding critical evidence from the defense. The question begs to be asked, how many other of Moorhead's cases were denied fair justice? All right, it looks like the sun is setting on 7th Street. The sources for this street story can be found on the7thstreet.com. There's also a petition now available from Justice for Wyandotte to call for a Department of Justice investigation into Terry Moorhead's cases on justiceforwyandotte.org. Research for this episode was done by me, Nikki Richardson, and you can follow the show on Facebook at The 7th Street Podcast and contact the show on our website. Peace and blessings.